This is part one of a two-part podcast. Put Paul's brain on your plot. Do you have a hunk of land but don't know where to start? Do you have a world-changing permaculture idea and you need some feedback? Do you feel like the guy in overalls may inexplicably hold the keys to all your wildest permaculture and homesteading dreams? Well, you're probably wrong. But if you want to give it a go anyway, you can hire Paul for a consultation. He will be all yours for a whole entire hour. Schedule your Paul-versation today at permies.com slash consult. permies.com slash consult. Okay, this time we're going to talk about the Permaculture Technology Jamboree, and I've got with me today uh, Lisa Orr and Uncle Mutt. And and today's focus is going to be on kiln stuff. Now, first, before we really talk about what we did this year, we should talk about what we kind of did before, in the before times. Like, so before the PTJ, there was the Rocket Mass Eater Jamboree, where uh, we built uh, a prototype kiln and forge. And then even before that, I think we had like two other prototypes. And before that, there was the kiln that Ernie made, which um, I don't think ever got to a very high temperature, but, you know, it could be used as a kiln. It was, it was kiln. It was a kiln. But um, that is gone. And, and, and I, and I want to say a quick thing. I was so, it made me so upset when they took it out because I all I I really feel like you got to have the kiln that's not so great in order to make a great kiln because if you don't have the not so great kiln right there then <clears throat> people just make another version that's not so great so in this case we took out the old kiln like about uh, six to eight months before the PTJ. And I was so nervous and so upset and so frustrated. And yet we did great. This, this kill knocked it out of the park. So, okay. Let's, let's just talk about, cause both of you were at the rocket mass heater jamboree in 2021 and you built a, a crappy prototype. But uh, I think the crappy prototype's not the right. It was a prototype. It wasn't sealed. You made it with a bunch of that orange semi-insulated fire brick, and it was it was a monstrosity. It was huge. Um, I you know showing off that we sure do have a lot of that orange fire brick around. And and how did it go? Because I know it's it's in the free heat movie. Which by the way, I know that Mud has seen the free heat movie. Uh, Lisa, have you seen the Free Heat movie? I haven't seen it. No. You know you're in it, right? Oh no. <laughs> well, do okay. you remember okay. there were those two guys with cameras videoing you all the time while you were? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so okay. we we took all that footage and we cobbled it into a movie. And so Mud, I know you've seen the movie because you helped me with with uh, the review process. Yeah, and the uh, the the conversation between her and Chris Avisher was fantastic. So we'll get you that link. Lisa. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about in the Free Heat movie, 
the movie that's already out that already exists that people have already seen and other oh. people could go see. Is that, is that the one that Rodney and I built that that kiln? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Mainly Rodney. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That. Um. He was doing experiments. Um. With moving the. Well, I was doing experiment. We both were like he was lengthening the chimney and such, making the like perfecting where like changing the chimney while we were firing, which was tuning very the riser. What tuning the riser? Thank you. He was tuning the riser. That's what I meant to say. And then, uh, from my point of view, it was looked like it was shuffling chimneys around. But um, <laughs> so he was tuning the riser, and um, and what I was doing was seeing what the hell was going on inside the thing by using pyrometers, which are basically probes that um, tell what glowing, what the approximate temperature and or rise and fall of of glowing heat. It doesn't even have to be glowing of any kind of heat um, telling what's happening inside a kiln, because otherwise you can look at it with your eyeball and go, wow, that's orange in there. So that might be <laughs> 1200 or 15 or 1800 degrees, but um, but I mean, basically bringing potter's tools to the, to the project. Um, and because I have a secret hidden agenda that's extremely overt at this point, which is to share rocket technology widely in the pottery community. And there is a ton of interest. So to that end, I needed to know as potter using the tools of our trade of, uh, what, what the temperature rise and fall was and just what the heck the temperature was using pyrometers. And additionally, I brought another pottery tool called cones, which are these little, uh, pointy, pointy kind of candy corn looking things, uh, that are made out of glaze materials and they are numbered. And by, uh, knowing what number is melted, you can tell how hot you went. And so we got to some decent numbers in that first, uh, kiln that Rodney was tuning. And, um, so we got to about 2000 degrees in different parts of the kiln. And what potters do is they, they tend to like, um, a, you know, a consistent heat or at least a predictable heat in a chamber. And so, um, it's really what it is well to know what is hot and what is cool in the chamber you have. So anyway, that's what we did on that first kiln. I, I seem to remember, uh, when watching the video and, w- and I watched that bit of video like seven or eight times because that's what you do when you produce a movie is you end up watching it way too many times. And, um, uh, I seem to remember 2200 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, uh, yeah, like pyrometer, seeing- the atmosphere is hotter than the wares. So yes, that's a great point yeah. that yeah. the atmosphere was hotter than uh, how hot the cones got. So, um, so there's something called heat work. So we had heat, which was 2200. We had heat work, which was around 2000. Simply because the rise that dang rocket, um, is an apt name in terms of the speed at which the heat enters the chamber. So that's true. That's going to be uh, a bit of an issue. Now, I know that there's some, I know that. That, that we're talking about more than a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, and then we're going to talk about at the PTJ, which was last summer. Yeah. And, and then, uh, you know, it's like what, six or seven months ago. And then we're going to talk about after that. But, um, okay. We did a prototype 
at that rocket mass heater jamboree and mm-hmm. um got to 2200 degrees mm-hmm. uh according to that thing but then the the cones were not that they were not as happy as the contraption that measures the uh air the gas temperature in there the gas temperature you mean the pyrometer yeah the pyrometer yeah. uh, i yeah. want to i don't want to say air temperature I, I, because it's kind of like it's not exactly air when it's 2200 degrees <laughs> burning wood gas is that what you mean yeah sure yeah yeah the the, you know, the combustion-y kind of gases that are flowing around the product as a, as opposed to the physical items. But, okay. I think they were all happy. I mean, it's just, what did we want? We got Kono 4, which is I brought all these little thingies that, that have that, that had blue glaze. And, right. um, and so those were, you know, little shot glasses that could tell tell the truth of are we having oxidation are we having reduction we had oxidation firing we did not have reduction which means smoke in pottery parlance so um that was surprising usually that glaze that glaze will turn kind of liver muddy brown red if if it's reduced or smoky in a smoky atmosphere it was crystal clear blue for the most part except for the ones that we put Right down in the in the bottom of the J tube, those ones were kind of kind of gray and sort of reduced. Now let's talk about the PTJ. And okay. um, at the at the PTJ, the idea was is like let's stop making prototypes where we slap something together and try it out and see if we can do this or do that. And instead, let's leap directly into the space of let's build something that's going to last. And so um, the first thing that was built was a jumbo J-tube. And, and I, you know, maybe jumbo is not the right word. Basically, a standard 8-inch J-tube that's done quite well. It's just a, a really good portable 8-inch J-tube. Yes. I th- um, Mud, would you say that's pretty accurate? Jumbo isn't the right word. Fairly high performance. Uh, the four inches of uh, ceramic board uh, surrounding every part of it really keeps the heat in nice. The cleanouts on the back and front of the uh, of the burn block of the the, the burn chamber um, uh, make a big difference for um, trying to keep it hot and clean out, uh, clean so that it flows nicely. And, uh, and the portability is nice for the experimentation we were doing. Now, I, when we recorded the other day and we, we talked about this, we were talking a lot about how many cords of wood were used in trying to do wood fired ceramics in the past and, and how hot did they get and how, what was the quality like and things like that. But, but we were trying to, you know, we were trying to remember basically from, you know, what little we have learned here and there. But, but, uh, uh, Lisa, you are an expert in the field of ceramics. Have you, have before any of this, have you ever done wood fired ceramic stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah, with high fire counts. Yeah. 
Okay. How do you do you have an idea of how much wood was used back then? Um, it depends on the kiln. Um, I know that like oh, I used to work for this guy in Green, <clears throat> Texas, and he would have um he would have like several trailers full of of wood scraps and he would throw those in um when and he was going to 2400 and it would take i don't know around 24 hours so there would be a team of people involved the kiln would be about uh, i don't know how many you know as tall as me um maybe five <laughs> five or six feet deep and about four or five feet wide or something like that so um you know it was a decent chamber size so though these are all factors so it's temperature and it's amount of pots you're firing so we're doing something much smaller and different um and and smoke would be a desired characteristic you would want smoke onto your glazes and so you would notify the neighbors notify the fire department you would have bought a place in the country. You would have to, um, you know, if you're doing an Anagama firing, a lot of people keep sending me, they go, you know, Parmies, Parmies who really haven't done pottery keep finding a random thing on, on the Internet. Here's wood firing, yes, in Japan. Do you see all of that black smoke chuffing out of the chimney there for hours and days on end? You know, like they have seven-day firings, and they take ma- they use many cords of wood. I don't know how many. Lots. Like 20. Um, I don't know about 20, but they, I do know it depends on the size of the kiln, honestly. It really does. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, a, a small kiln, you're never going to, like, a small kiln of that design, it's never going to get up to that high of a temperature. And if no, that's shooting, false. It will get up to that temperature. It will just do it much faster and much more cleanly. We have already, we got it at your place up to that temperature. Oh, no, I'm, I'm talking about before, before the rocket stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about, because it's like when you're doing – because the, the designs of the kilns that I saw, they were a lot of brick. Like they would they would spend a lot of time building the kiln out of all this brick. And yep. then um, – and it was. It was a very big chamber. And I thought, why are they building such a big chamber? And then I thought, oh, I know why. It's because they needed to get so hot that they kind of need to make a big bonfire. Because if they did a smaller chamber and a smaller kiln overall, then it would be harder to get it as hot because it, it needs to be big so that way it's hotter in the middle than on the outer sides. And so uh, that was my interpretation of what I observed for that style of kiln that was being built. Like you want to go really big and then, of course, put a lot of pieces in at once. Because yes. now you can, you know, now when you do it, the stuff in the middle gets a lot hotter than the stuff on the extremities. Mm, it might, yeah, it might, um, yeah, because there is a there is a whole there's a whole bunch of reasons that you're going to want to uh, like if you fi- if you have a larger kiln, you can get a lot more stuff in it. You there for for some of these wood fire guys like. It is an advantage to have a longer firing because then the path of the flame, the ash follows the sort of wind currents through the, through the kiln and then they get this path of flame kind of markings on their work, which is how they decorate their stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that all is very cool. And 
there is nothing against that. We love that. It's beautiful. It does take a lot of wood. It takes teams of people and it takes days and days to fire. And that is not my interest in this. I am not trying to compete with that. Okay. Understood. Understood. Um, and I'm so- also, there's, there, the environmentalist in me, the Permian in me wants to do something much smaller and much, much less smoky and much, 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 much more accessible. And I am getting, I am fielding calls daily, emails, texts, Instagram messages. Everybody wants a design that they can use with a repurposed junkie kiln because they can access it. They don't have to call the electrician. You know, anyway, sorry, jumping ahead. Hi, this is Mark. There are a lot of reasons to get angry these days, but I prefer to focus on the positive things that we each can do to make this world a better place. The book Building a Better World in Your Backyard, Instead of Being Angry at Bad Guys, is a great resource for just that. Instead of throwing my arms up in frustration at governments or big corporations, there's a list of ideas that we each can tackle to affect change. Information about this book and other resources can be found at permies.com. You well, can... as, as part of the movie that we're about to make, and we're calling it the Low-Tech Laboratory Movie, right. and and as part of the movie... Um, Andreas is going to make, uh, plans for what was built. And I, my guess is you have not seen Andreas's plans. No. Yeah. I, I think they turned out, they, they, they've turned out very beautiful. I think that, wow, it's, 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 uh, it's plans plus. Um, I know Mud has been working with Andreas a fair bit on making these plans. All the plans I've seen are just absolutely stunning. They're kind of a 3D kind of a thing and, uh, and just bright color and and it, it the whole thing just looks it's nice and easy to understand step by step instructions all uh, the pieces are 3D yeah 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 it's just well done um <clears throat> so soon there will be plans because of this upcoming uh kickstarter we're going to try to do because of course it you know it's this whole thing where all these people are involved, and in order for them to take it to the next step, they're like, you know, how much are you going to pay me? And and it's like, well, we could pay you, which leads to the next thing, which is that <clears throat> we're hoping to make the PTGA this year so much more, and uh, we're going to try and get in even more instructors. And, of course, we're, we're thinking that maybe in time we can develop a symbiotic relationship between Kickstarters and the PTJ. So that way the Kickstarter will subsidize the PTJ so the instructors can get more money and uh, we can have more instructors. So uh, that kind of thing. But, okay, back back to this. So we said a lot of things in that last recording, and and, I, and maybe some of those things need to be set right. But I think that the number one thing that – that is the makes the kiln be the biggest thing to come out of the the PTJ this last year is is that um, you can take uh, you can make this firebox this basically this this J tube mm-hmm. you can stick a, uh, an old kiln into the middle of it and this is a kiln that doesn't work anymore so right. and and it sounds like a lot of ceramicists have one of these kicking about. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thinking of taking it to the dump or haven't gotten around to getting rid of it or whatever. And it's, it's hard to throw. They're hard to throw away. Yeah. And yeah. They, come, they still have value, which is, you know, they've still got these tight rings of bricks, which are kind of handy. Yeah. So and, they're, yeah, go ahead. So not only because of the wood thing, because in previous attempts to reach high fire with wood, um, it's like you're going to be using at least a few cords of wood to, to pull that off. And, and it won't be just in a few hours. It's going to probably take you at least a couple of days to do a firing. Is, is that accurate? Yes. But for a, and usually, I mean, nobody has many wood kilns, but yeah, not that many. I, maybe in medieval Britain or something, but not, it's not common. <clears throat> Now, let me ask you a question. Um, when you fire up your favorite kiln at, you know, at your studio, mm-hmm. then, uh, and you want to get to high fire, what is, what is this whole process? How long will the process take and how much does it cost roughly? Um, it probably would take about, I don't know, 10 or 12 hours and it would, it sort of destroys it. So I have an electric kilns. Um, and, um, and what it does, high firing those things, uh, you have to change the elements more often. So the electric coils that heat up simply because that much heat is, um, it's just a lot of stress on those electric elements. And so, and it might cost, I don't know. I don't fire high fire. Um, so I do low fire. My firings are about $30 or something like that. And they end in about seven hours. And, um, if I were going to probably high fire, it would probably be more like 10 or 12 hours and closer to 70 or $80 here where I live now. Something like that. Okay. All right. Now. Well, in Texas, it's almost that hot already. <laughs> yep. Just put my stuff out in the sun. Yeah. Um, Leave it in the car. Mm-hmm. Put it on the so, dashboard. Okay. So yeah. I, I, I heard, did you say that for low fire, a uh, seven hours and, uh, um, a, about $30? Yep. Okay. And then, um, for high fire, then, uh, Let's see, high fire. I think you said it was like $70 and 12 hours. I think so, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. What would be the equivalence with this new rocket kiln? Well, at Uncle Mud's place, uh, we, we used two of those banana boxes, two and a little bit more of banana boxes of scraps. Um, so it was like, I don't know much how much he pays for banana boxes of wood wood chunks but um three dollars if you include the wood and people to put it in the boxes and stack it okay so it's about six six dollars and fifty cents then at the most um but low fire or high fire uh low fire so for high fire, though, we did not use a ton more when we were at your place. We did high fire at your place. Yeah. We made it to cone nine and, um, which is a little bit under, it's like a little like 23, not quite 2350. 
um, in five hours and it was not that much over like, um, we were measuring, me and Chris Alvashir were measuring kind of in like armloads of wood mm-hmm. and there was sort of like three and a half for him to get to like cone nine, which was pretty impressive. It didn't take her five hours. So, um, that's pretty impressive. Like nobody fires that fast. So here's what I wrote down. Um, for, for high fire, Mm -hmm. uh, then if you're going to go with electric, it's going to take 12 hours and it's going to be about $70 worth of electricity. Plus, plus wear and tear on the elements. Yes. So, we, you might also, it, it might also eat up $25 worth of element life or something. Yeah, probably. Because you need to buy new elements about every year. Um, and those things cost about $500 for a set. Wow. What was that sound? That was I don't exciting. Know. <laughs> that was that was me whistling as to how much it costs uh, to, to put that much money in my car. Yeah. One of our one one of our helpers at my place is, is a uh, is somebody who graduated in ceramic arts and lives in a uh, neighborhood in the city and doesn't have the electric infrastructure to have a uh, an electric kiln and basically has not been able to practice her art. Uh, and it's really been a depressing part of being an adult uh, is to just be shut out from the thing that you spent so much time and money and passion being trained on. And so, so we were really kind of having fun, uh, opening this Pandora's box for her. I mean, plus you have to like wire for these basically giant electric furnaces and i mean i'm embarrassed to say how much i spent you know like getting a digger over here and um digging laying pipe and putting electricity underground and putting like it was many thousands of dollars to run the wiring you know new wiring from a pole and pretty much everywhere i've moved my studio i have always had to like install you know i'd have to increase the service and it costs thousands of dollars to do that every time. So I mean, it's yeah, really it's, great not to have to do that. Because it's a 220 line, yeah. right? It's a 220 mm-hmm. power. Okay. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to restate the electric thing here just real quick. So for electric, you're pushing a hundred dollars and it's going to take 12 hours. And mm-hmm. for the, for the rocket that you did here, which is our first attempt at building a, a, a long-term rocket, um, it was three and a half armloads of wood, which we did not pay for, um, mm-hmm. and five hours. So less than half the time. And it was instead of being something on the order of a hundred bucks, it's basically could be free, but if you, you could pay for it if you wanted to. And if you paid for it, it might be something on the order of three dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and the wood that you used was, um, conifer wood it was pine and fir and larch 
things things of that nature. So the wood that we happen to just stack here that we use for fuel, probably not even the highest quality that we could get. Um, right. If you if you can get um, do like Uncle Mud and get it from you know uh, there. I have a bunch of wood that I've collected some dry wood from a casket outfit here that's mm-hmm. nearby. And so I just rent a U-Haul every now and then because it'll take the weight, and they will give me huge bundles of basically paint stir style paint stir sticks that are wonderfully dry and very thin, and I don't have to split anything. <laughs> That's lovely. Pretty fantastic, yeah. Okay. So basically, it's a matter of finding some something like that. So. Uh, the other thing is, is that, um, with the, the other, the other style of using wood, um, is, is supposed to be smoky and <clears throat> it involves telling your neighbors, telling the fire department, stuff like that. Um, being however, pardon? Being in the country. And that, yeah. And, uh, and we're definitely in the country also. Um, mm-hmm. but when you look at the amount of smoke, coming out of this system how how much smoke came out that you saw with this rocket kiln almost none yeah so there like at the beginning there might have been a little bit yeah, but at then the beginning. It, yeah then it clears up and the rest of the burn it's perfectly clear is that accurate i think so uncle mud can detect a very slight hint of smoke although i couldn't see it and i have video of me not seeing it <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, now, now, now comes the big thing. You've kind of alluded to it a little bit already in this podcast. Um, and, uh, so we did this thing. We, we, we took this, um, defunct kiln and we kind of stuck it in between the, um, burn tunnel and the riser of this J tube. And, and then we put some kilnables in there, some, some ceramics that needed to go for a ride in the kiln. And, uh, we did, and then we did the things for five hours. And, uh, I, I remember there was great joy and happiness at my place here at, you know, in front of the shop where we were doing this test. Um, but then you took a picture or something like that and then you shared it somewhere. And it turned out that there was this far away happiness as well. Oh yes. Can yeah, <laughs> all my friends are freaking out. Yes. Tell me more about freaking out. <laughs> well, I mean, didn't you go to Columbia right after this or something, and a bunch of people were excited there too? Columbia. Didn't you go? Oh, no, Brazil, Brazil. Yeah. Brazil. Yes. Yep. Yeah. No, I've been talking about it and sharing plans and pictures as best I can because I don't, you know, want to be, I'm not a kiln builder or a big expert on this. I'm just somebody who's in the middle with one foot in the permaculture world and one foot in the pottery world. And, um, and I'm the bridge at this moment, but I want there to be other people who are bridges besides me. I would love other people to like go permaculture. What exactly is that again? Uh, I think my entry point is this kiln thing that you're talking about. Every single person I show it to um, is like, wow, that is so, you know, what is the magic of this J-tube you speak of? And um, 
and they work with me on figuring out how we can better apply pottery technology using this firing chamber. Um, so anyway, I'm going to be demonstrating at an upcoming ceramics conference. It's called Ensika. It's going to be in Cincinnati. Okay. All right. Um, and I've been, you know, a friend of mine wrote, uh, Simon Levin drew down plans for it. Um, and I went to Mud's place and we played with the, um, what is it? The riser. What is it? Uncle Mud? The riser dimensions? Tuning it. Uh, we tuned the riser. Is that right? What's that? We tuned the riser more at your place? Yeah, we, we tuned the riser. Rodney came yeah. over and we, uh, yeah, and he tuned the riser and it actually fires way, way, way better if it's not sitting plumped right down on top of the bottom of the J tube where the, I'm, where I've said, oh, the kiln makes the perfect riser. No, it does not. Um, there needs to be a riser there and, um, just a, just a little bit of a riser. If it gets stacked way on the top of something, it's too cold. But if it's sitting right at the bottom, uh, uh, it's super hot in a spot but is not but it it does it uh it interferes with our rocketiness um yeah, that's it so just giving it so having it like mid having the kiln kind of at, at mid riser and with a uh with plenty of breathing capability uh but kind of baffled so that the exhaust has to go around the edges of the inside of the kiln um, instead of straight up through the middle. Um, yeah. Lisa, is it fair to say that the rocket kiln, when you sent those pictures, that, that it, and I'm going to say a thing and you could say that I'm exaggerating, uh, okay. that it profoundly changed the ceramics world? Not yet, but it will. Okay. All right. So yeah, it's, no, it's just right now we're just fringy people out on the edges. Yeah, <laughs> trying stuff. We're out here just trying stuff. Yeah, I mean it. It does seem to make a big difference. A lot like what Mud said. There's a lot of people out there that um, this is their uh, their their passion in life, but at a hundred dollars for every burn and uh, for every for every firing. Uh, and then, and then at some point in time, you're going to get to replace the electric elements. Uh, mm-hmm. so, because I kind of feel like with what we have now, mud, I'm going to ask you, I think that, that this is all going to last 30 years. You could, you could fire this thing up several times a week for 30 years. And, um, I'm not even sure how it would fail in 30 years. It wouldn't fail. I, I think, so you're, it would be fine. So, so Lisa, you're thinking that it has more than a 30 year lifespan. Yeah. I don't know. What ash? It depends on how hot you fire it. For me, I want to, I want to fire it. Uh, I like the, uh, I like low fire. Um, I'm, you know, some yeah. people poo poo low fire, like, uh, terracotta pottery, like the Wheaton lab clay. Um, you know, as if like, because it's got some porosity to it. Um, I think a glaze coating over that is just great and, um, and you can make durable dishes. They don't last maybe as long as, as very high fired, like, um, 
very highly fused things like porcelain and stoneware, but they're still great. Yeah, we're not making sanitary wear all the time. We don't all have to. Some of us can do low fire. So that's my very defensive. This podcast is continued in part two. Hey, this is T. Blankenship. Have you seen the new video of Wheatland Labs? It is permaculture awesomeness with all new and improved things like more rocket mass heaters, easy bake coffin, Willy Wonka, rocket cooktop 2.0, and the truly passive greenhouse. To see more, go to permies.com slash tour. Again, that is permies.com slash tour.